Welcome to Feed Your Yoga Podcast with Gabe Yoga. I'm so excited that you're here on this podcast. And in this podcast, I'm excited to share that we have a, I, I have, well, me and my team, but I have a nice show for you. It's time that I stepped up and presented my perspective on the questions that I ask everyone. And I hope that now after three months in going, so this is our 12th episode, 12 is a magical, beautiful number, especially as we come into this holiday season over here in the 1st of December today. So I hope you have a good day. And in this episode, it is me. It's, I'm going to basically provide answers from my experience, from my almost 20 years of practicing Ashtanga and almost 23 years of practicing and teaching yoga and over 25 years since I first read Patanjali Sutras. So my name is Gabe, as everyone knows. Some people call me Gabriel, and in Israel where I was born, I'm awfully known as Gabi. And I'm sure you can come up with your own ways of what my friends have done to find their way of calling me out. So, let's jump right into it. As a male yoga teacher, I have seen some challenges in regard to the sexual nature, but interestingly enough, I've never necessarily experienced them personally. Maybe just because I simply go to the classes, teach the class and leave. It's not that after classes and I have had my relationships with students, but they all began outside of the classroom in settings that were initiated in chance meetings at restaurants or out on the street or for a coffee. And so it's interesting how, for me, it's more about hearing about it. And again, to state the obvious, the large names like Bikram Chowdhury, the founder of Bikram Yoga, or... Kastub Desikachar, which is the grandson of Krishnamacharya, the great yoga master. So, obviously, we can always find that in this context of fame and celebrity and money, that there's going to be a challenge in the male-female sexual dimension. In my opinion, it is not necessarily only on the men. I've also heard stories of women using the yoga setting room as the playground for their sexual adventures. So no judgment one way or the other. Challenges that I've experienced the most has simply just been at the quality of teaching. So the best way to present it is when we have a palate, when we all know how food should taste, it's easier for us to understand that some food we're going to categorize and put it in a certain category, like give it a star one, and some foods and experiences will give a star five experience. At the moment in the yoga world, we don't have that ability to have a differentiation as a whole, and I think that is hurting more seasoned teachers in a world where there's so much more teachers coming into it. So that's my opinion on the biggest challenge that I see as a teacher. And it's not necessarily as a male yoga teacher. 
I do agree with some of our guests that we've had that as a male teacher, there has been those times where studios were excited that I was a male teacher and I, I would be able to sub or jump on their teaching list because it seems that in some areas of the world, there are less male yoga teachers than others. And then I've been to a lot of areas where I've seen a lot of male teachers, whether in Southern California, Arizona, New York City, Singapore, Thailand. And so obviously, again, it's not a judgment. This is just a personal experience of what my time in teaching has produced. I started yoga practice when I was 19. It was a surprise, actually. And back then, the term yoga wasn't around to be used so colloquially. And what happened was that I read for a class, the history of rock and roll class actually, it was an anthropology, a cultural anthropology class. And I read as a requirement for the class the book called Still Life with a Woodpecker by Tom Robbins. And Still Life with a Woodpecker begins to present uh, an idea of what meditation produces. And here the author creates this beautiful story, and I highly recommend reading Still Life with the Woodpecker. The book itself is about love and has, and Tom has a way with words that really captivated my attention. And because of that, I then went to the bookstore and found Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins. And that particular book took me completely by surprise by challenging some ideas that I had on prehistory, what was the relationship between Judaic, Christian, and the pagan cultures of the past. And again, it was just a beautiful story. I highly recommend reading Jitterbug Perfume. But yet towards the end of the book, Tom lays a theory of human capacity that I realized wasn't made up it had roots in something deeper, had roots in a philosophy and an experience that he must have read or studied or have spent time with someone. And that truth that arose from his writing about what's the possibility of human life really spoke to me, and I realized that I needed to do more research. All I had at the time was the word India and meditation. These are the only two words that have arose from the two books I've read by Tom about this element of meditation and the depth of understanding our experience of life and then also recognizing that we can enjoy life in this world very differently than the way we think of it now. The idea of living longer, basically. And so I went to the library, and this is before Google, this is 1993, 94, and I simply type in the computer library, the word India, the word meditation. I get a list of numbers and letters that represent books, titles. I take down the first eight titles, I believe, and I start hunting through the library, and I have about seven to eight books in my hands, I remember. And when I get home, as I'm flipping through my books, there's one book that captures my attention, and I'll be honest, the main reason it captured my attention was because of the least amount of words it had per page. 
today looking back at it, it is epiphanous, it's kind of surprising. And yet this book, known as Dreams of the Yogi, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, and I'll put a link of that particular copy in the blog post itself. But you can jump on Amazon and just type Dreams of a Yogi, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And as a psychology student at the time, reading the very first sentence, that yoga is the way to find God, completely took me by storm, completely by shock, because here was an author presenting an idea of human understanding that had nothing to do with faith, had to do with practice. As you read the sutras, and especially the very first chapter, Padawan, the very first section, and he lays out a human psychological reasoning of why we have jealousy, why we have tension, why we have fears, why we have mental and emotional disturbances are all tied to this concept of not seeing, not understanding who we really are. And that for me was just brilliant. I was surprised we weren't studying it in school. And I realized that the only way to move forward was to actually put into practice how to stop the mind, which at 19 was a huge shock that it was actually impossible. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't even think that I had an idea that one that the mind was wandering on its own that way. I was aware of my daydreamings and my nightmares and my dreams at night. Aware that I had fantasies when I was sitting in classes and stuff like that, or just different thoughts and different things. But until reading Patanjali Sutras, it didn't tie in this aspect of looking at the thoughts as something that is manageable and controllable. And so that was the beginning of my yoga path. A few months later, or maybe, yeah, about a few months, it took about like maybe eight to nine weeks, because I'm reading a variety of different books. I keep going to the library and picking up different books, strands, as inspired by the readings that I'm having, but most of them are more philosophical by nature. The Upanishads, the Garanda Samhita, the Hatha Yoga Pratipika was the last one that I pick up after reading the Bhagavad Gita and Mahabharata and the Ramayana. And while there's mentions of yoga poses and stuff like that in those books, it wasn't until I see the Hatha Yoga Pratipika that I see actual postures. And I get the Pratipika along the same time where I pick up um, a Yangara's book. And so together I suddenly see a glimpse of how the physical asanas are benefiting the physical body for a seated meditation. I remember trying to do lotus because it said lotus was the best pose for seated meditation and that's all I had been doing up until that point. I was sitting and watching my breath as a vehicle to control my thoughts. And suddenly to see these poses and to try to sit in lotus and would not be able to. I'm 19, I play rugby. I start doing the postures as a playfulness because you just pick up different poses. And as I read, I see that 
a younger is very eminent about meditation in motion, a moving meditation practice known as sun salutation or Surya Namaskara. And for me, I remember that day where it was like, wow, that's awesome. I can down move and, and meditate rather than sit and meditate. And ever since then, I have a love for Surya Namaskar and outside of just its importance and sequencing to have a good, solid sun citation movement three or four or five times of the same repetition to warm up the joints and to warm up the muscles. It also has a quality of calmness, mental calmness, heart-centeredness that is achieved when you do the same movements again and again. And you really discover that when you do sun citation regularly every day. As much as it tends to get boring after a little while and tedious after a little while, I remember that I took it on and I could see within a month that my body had gained flexibility. And it wasn't that I needed it or thought about it. As I mentioned, I played rugby. We had a successful rugby team in college. Um, I was—I felt that I was pretty fit and active. And but something about the connection with the mental, philosophical, and then the physical practice, and seeing its effects on the field, invited me to make to try to get my teammates to practice the sensitization with me. And I remember it wasn't the most successful experience with a bunch of 19-year-old boys and 20 and 21 with all the various age groups that we had on our field. Um, and to get them to try to do these movements that were completely new and no one had thought of them or heard of them. So that didn't go by as well as I had thought. But I always remember talking about it and looking for people I could talk about yoga with because it just touched me, both the physical part by this point but then also the philosophical mental part. And so that was how I found yoga. And my practice has always stayed with this breath connection that was the basis of Patanjali's sutras in a sense, that they use the breath as a vehicle to help control the thoughts. And then it's not that you'll stop your thoughts as I've learned over time. It's not that you stop your thoughts, but rather your mind is paying attention to the object of attention you chose, which is the breath in this case and then thoughts come and thoughts go but your attention isn't wavered you stay on your breath and that requires practice that requires putting the time and the effort to do that and vinyasa flow classes are based on that idea that we're going to use the breath to follow the body and then the mind can focus on the breath and suddenly the mind and the body are moved in togetherness it requires doing the same thing regularly because otherwise you're constantly thinking about what should I should do next. That's the power of sun citation. It's just 12 or 10 movements depending on the style that you choose. And then they repeat themselves. And since the, the movements never change, your, the mind has a chance to fall into a state of ease and not the state of tension that it sustains itself on. The constant hum and drum of our thoughts moving over and over again. I eventually became a teacher only because someone else asked me to. I didn't even think about it. But I remember the day that this 
woman called my girlfriend had been invited at the time my girlfriend at the time had been invited to teach yoga for this company and she told him that I was the her first teacher I'm the one who got her into yoga and so I remember getting a call a couple of days later and they asked me hey we heard that you do yoga I said yes and would you want to teach a class and I was like sure I was like can you teach tomorrow I was like fine of course and she gave me the address and it was in Atlanta Georgia I had to go to the Coca-Cola building and they had a little gym area fitness area and that's when I first learned that all these different corporations have fitness areas for their employees with classes as a tip for teachers who are seeking classes and they're not just yoga studios there's a variety of places where you can teach yoga classes so here I got to the class I remember spending the entire evening writing down my sequence and it was my first time actually teaching a full class to people that I didn't know. I played with classes and stuff like that before in my house. And like I shared, I tried with my rugby team. And by this point, um, this is about four years after I started practice, um, that yoga now is bigger. I, I started to see how yoga started to filter itself, especially through the work of Bikram and his students. Um, praising Bikram to be the best yoga program ever and praising him as a great yoga teacher which was wonderful for me in terms of seeing yoga become a word that was more popular and I could talk to people about it and such so I go to the class I'm rather a little timid and but I don't know any other way all I've seen as teachers who teach on the mat all I've seen is videos of people demonstrating so I get to my mat and I start to teach and I remember getting home and feeling uplifted that I made it to Shavasana. I didn't feel like I flumbered. Um, that's all I can remember from that very first class. So this again is a tribute to all the yoga teachers out there or the ones who are trying to go out and teach. Just go teach, do your best. Because as much as I got home and saw the sequence that I wrote down and the sequence I taught wasn't exactly the same, I missed a few poses. I remember getting the call the next day where it's like, wow, people really loved your class and if you would like to, we can put you in a sub-list. But you would have to complete a teacher training program and there's one's coming up and then that's how my yoga teacher career began. Um, about six months later, because at the time I was also managing a restaurant, and as I was getting my own classes and I had my own schedule at the restaurant, I had the schedule built up with the yoga classes that fit within that, at some point, I was teaching 12 classes a week and working in the restaurant for about 50 hours a week. And I remember when the restaurant wanted me to sh change restaurants, and then that would affect my entire teaching schedule. And I already knew that I was going to go and move to California from Atlanta a few months later. And so as I made the calculations about how much money I was making per class, how much money I was making teach at work in the restaurant, if I added more classes, I would basically match what I made at the restaurant by teaching classes, by working less hours. So then I made the decision of throwing the towel in, going all the way in, and I told the restaurant I was not going to come back, and then went around and, and sent, gave my resume to every 
location that had yoga classes, whether it was Gold's Gym, whether it was a yoga studio, whether it was a fitness center that I'd heard about, whether it was apartment complexes that I wanted to try to see if they would let me teach a class, whether it was people I knew at schools that would let me see if teachers, because I'd built two classes at a high school, because one of my employees was a teacher and he shared and so then I built the class in his high school and so it was a lot of fun and I continue to suggest that in my teacher training programs and share that that's the building blocks on the beginning of teaching yoga. Today there's a lot more vehicles available for yoga teachers between the internet and understanding how to build um, your clientele and your, stu your students online, how to build an online um, teaching abilities can give teachers of modern day a huge edge up in this world of constant teacher trainings and constant yoga teachers coming out into the market field. Today my yoga practice is an Ashtanga practice. I practice the Ashtanga series. I used to I practice the first and the second, first half of the second most of the time. But yes, for the last 15 or so years of every day of Ashtanga practice. And I, for me again, like I said, practice of yoga is the capacity of drawing the mind to, of, to quietness and the discovery of who we are. And that's Patanjali. And Ashtanga yoga really is derived from Patanjali sutras. So I think that's another reason that there's a propensity in my heart, <coughs> excuse me, to that practice. But there's something more within the recognition that the practice of Ashtanga has been developed as a tool to keep the body healthy. In the words of David Williams, it's just an old man's gymnastics. Meaning, here's a practice that will help your body move well and keep a certain range of motion and flexibility throughout all your time living in this form. And so I'm on a personal adventure, a personal journey of to seeing if that's true. I'll let you know in 20 years. <laughs> I am a full-time yoga teacher in the fact that I run yoga teacher programs, both online and live retreats, teacher training programs. We have a retreat coming up in June with an incredible lady, Malak, who is a Byron Katie facilitator. So go to thailandyogaretreat.com and you can see the upcoming retreat. There's also going to be a teacher training slash retreat program with Matthew Goder at the end of June in Thailand. So I'm really excited about that. I try to create my work that will also share and support other yoga teachers, whether it's in this podcast where I feature various yoga teachers or through collaborations with yoga studios or with yoga teachers to run teacher trainings at studios and to run retreats and events with other yoga teachers so that there is a feeling of understanding how to create that affiliation that is so popular and contributes such a powerful force to the success of so many people online and technically in the real world, whether it's politics or whether it's sports. It's the connection and capacity that we build that allows us to be successful in ourselves and in our community. Now, I would tell my earlier self that my earlier self needs to build a platform that other people want to connect to and keep that connection. 
So absorbing people's emails, um, listening to their needs. And the first reason I built my audio classes way back when I built them was because people told me, it's like, hey, do you have any recordings? And again, I started teaching before the dawn of the ease of internet, and it took me quite a few years before I really stepped into the internet world. So what I mean to my earlier self is that I could see those. I just didn't understand the direction, and I would encourage my earlier self to take advantage of what this new world offers us through understanding the medium of recording, uh, understanding the medium of uploading and sharing and creating a larger community than just the community that we see in the classroom. I spent my time focusing on teaching, sharing yoga, purely just sharing the best that yoga is possible, and less about focusing on me personally or building communities, especially since I was teaching a lot of times at other studios or other fitness centers, and I was simply grateful that to have the opportunity of teaching, that I have established a community around me and a community online through Facebook and my email is a huge gratitude in my heart, but I know that I've done it in an organic way as opposed to a structured building way that we are working on nowadays. The biggest challenge, as I mentioned, to new yoga teachers coming into the field today is just fitting themselves well and really showing people who've been doing yoga for a long time, as well as people who've never done yoga at all, that they have confidence and skill in what they're presenting. And that's why, in my opinion, the Bikram teaching methodology is still one of the most successful ones in producing confident, talented teachers, which is, here's, here's the song, here's, like if you're a musician and everyone gets a laugh because when you learn to play the guitar and it used to be that you just wanted to learn to play Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, and so many people were playing that, that it became like a rhetorical comedy that if you pick up a guitar, your first thing you learn is Stairway to Heaven. But because Stairway to Heaven just has so many complexities and it teaches you how to use your fingers well and how to move through chords as well as notes, so it's a good foundation. And if you can learn to play that song, then at least you have a rhythm and an understanding how to build a rhythm and how to move your fingers on the guitar. What I mean by this is that learning to play a song and then having something that is the same and you're having the capacity of repetition, like sun salutation, builds your skill faster. You might never be a great musician, you might never play a different song, but you'll always be a proficient Led Zeppelin songwriter. And when it comes to yoga and the body, we don't need to come up with new sequences, no need to come up and create new things. Yoga itself is solid, it has great things and that's what I mean about the Ashtanga practice. It's not a complicated practice, it shares very similar principles as the Bikram 26 practice that was given to Bikram by Bishnu Ghosh for the sake of healing his body. So if we want to give people health, if we want to give people um, longevity, then we don't need much besides just a good solid understanding of that 
And the best way to get that understanding, in my opinion, is through a song. And here's a good song, depending on the teacher that you go to. And have the ability to learn how to teach that class. Go and then you can step in with confidence because you have something that you know that you're going to be teaching as opposed to worrying on whether you remember things or not. You'll always have that tension of memory. But at least you have the confidence that you're stepping in with something solid that has strength and reasons and you know why you're saying what you're saying and you know why you're using the poses that you're using. That's why you know I built Bikyasa. Bikyasa is a style that connects Bikram and Ashtanga, but it's a dialogue-based class because we don't really know what to say when we step out into a classroom, and that's the biggest challenge for most people, which is public speaking, to know what to say. And so you're going to fumble your words anyway. So if I give you a good dialogue that is built correctly and helps you understand why we use certain words to reach the mind and the body better in a group of large students... And if you understand why you're using those words, if you understand why you're using the postures and why you're using the music when you're using, if you understand the why to use Simon Sinek, then you build a connection and a trust between you and the students, between you and the community. And Bikyasa is a class that builds that confidence and that skill. And still, any teacher, if you are doing a teacher training, if you are learning how to teach... Do what the great business people do. Find the teacher that inspires you the most. Take their class. Memorize that class and teach that class. And I promise you that even when you try to teach the class like your teacher, you're not the teacher, you're you. So the class will always be you. But do that effort. I promise you, you'll see that your classes have a much stronger impact on your students. That's the biggest tip I can give to new teachers. I also encourage new teachers to just go look for places to teach, don't have any judgment about what it is, where it is, and what the setting is. If there's people they want to do yoga, if it's in a gym full of weights and you just have a little space for the five students that want to do the yoga, do it. Why? Because it builds your confidence and your skill. For seasoned teachers, I suggest that they move into the online platform, and I'd be more than happy to support anyone um, please feel free to send me an email to gabe at gabeyoga.com and we can talk about what you're looking for and how we can get you to success. I'd like to share with students and teachers that yoga is a personal art form that we get to share in public when we go to public classes. And yet, it's a constant personal adventure as we try to apply what we do in class and what we do in our mat when we leave the mat. And so I'm very honored and fortunate that I get to share this practice with others and that others want to come and share their practice with me and I can sustain my living through teaching. And I hope I get to see you in my retreats. Again, ThailandYogaRetreat.com or go to GabeYoga.com to see the various events, teacher trainings, workshops, and classes that I teach when I travel and go around the world. Can't wait to meet you. And again, thank you for listening. I hope you have an incredible day. Namaste.